Something strange happening. Welcome to Second Dinner, a podcast where we podcast. Back at it again with the white vans. Wait, what, why did I say that? <laughs> Guys, I really thought we were doing that time, but then I that jumped into my head again. A podcast right, where we'll we podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll do it again, but without the white vans business. Got it? Hey guys, welcome back to Second Dinner. It's a podcast where we podcast. This is John Isidore, greeting you as always. With me here tonight is that guy who just laughed. What's his name? What up, Tom? Thomas. I'm Diamond. I'm Nicole. <laughs> All right, there it is. You know what? Let's just cut past the bullshit this time. What are we doing? We are talking about... Oh, we're following up. We're following up our rom-com thing because yep. Diamond... Diamond... Why don't you 60 second recap your own thoughts about why we're following up the rom-com thing? Because you had thoughts. So I had yeah, You're the thoughts. reason we're here. Uh, I realized after our rom-com episode that I didn't necessarily... We talked about how I didn't really like rom-coms in general. And then I thought about it because I found myself watching uh, a Chinese uh, drama. And I was like, oh, I really like this. It's basically a rom-com, but it's Chinese. So what about this do I like more than I like about American rom-coms? And I realized it was because it's absolutely insane. And so I thought about it more and realized that I also really like the 1930s and 40s era romantic comedies from like with Cary Grant and that whole group of actors. So I looked into it and realized the thing that it had in common was the fact that they were more like screwball comedies of in the romantic comedy subgenre and that is that yeah uh, wait does does screwball comedy have like it like a definition or is that one of those things that we just know it does have a definition i don't know if you guys want to like attempt to define it and figure out like how close it is to like the exact definition or well this one is one like I have less uh, familiarity with as like a term used to describe stuff so I'm okay with starting off with a definition instead of just making my own my own definition. so what do you have alright well um, in basic terms it's um, an offshoot of comedy that is typically typically based on male-female relationships uh, generally derive comedy from the battle of the sexes narrative where the female is dominant in the relationship usually to the horror of the male character who has his masculinity challenged um, norm it mostly existed between the era of, or between 1930 and 1940 as a way to get around the um, production code What does that mean? Um, bookmark that for a second. The um, yeah. the female authority thing. Mm-hmm. Because I had a thought about that. I'm going to Yeah, so basically I had to lean into dialogue as a way to have like a battle of the sexes or to have tension or to have comedy because they couldn't really do any sort of physical comedy between men and women during that era of film. Uh. Wait, what do you mean they couldn't do it? Like, couldn't do physical comedy. Like, no slapstick or no, like, sex? No, no sex, anything. So, they could, like, slap each other, but that's about it. (laughs) 
they, so like they couldn't be I, like they couldn't be pictured sleeping in the same room as one another and then they couldn't be pictured sleeping in the same bed gotcha. so how do you get around that you just talk a lot <laughs> was the funny. answer sound disappointed <laughs> no i i just told you that these are my like favorite genre no, of romantic comedies You're i fine. obviously like it so we watched well, his uh, girl friday is that what it's called yes yep. his girlfriend yeah. i don't know no girl his friday. girl friday okay so do y'all count that as like a romantic comedy it's counted on all the lists and even when we had the rom-com conversation the video that i had listed listed it as one of the original rom-coms yeah it was it was in the um is the the clip about divorce was in there but also yeah i mean i think going by the sort of haphazard descriptions or definitions that we put together or it's still from elsewhere it it fits those except except the whole concept of the meat cute because it skips that sort of intro entirely yeah it's sort of a re-meat cute i don't mm -hmm. know yeah, a lot of screwball, especially the ones in the 30s and 40s, were all, like, I think divorce could only be pictured in film if they got remarried at the end. So they, so it was so much of the two people who got divorced then getting back together by the end of the movie. So, there, yeah, there isn't a meet-cute, because it was more fun to picture it this way. You know... I'm thinking about it some more and looking over sort of some of the stuff we talked about last time. I feel like by some sets that we kind of discussed, I would say so. But if we go off the, what was it? Jenna brought up like the meet cute, the fight, individual realization or whatever, those sort of plot beats. I think it misses some, or does them like real weird. Like no meet cute, the whole thing is a fight. I don't even know if there's a realization because people are lying to each other too much. Yep. Uh, but maybe there is. That last bit. But it's interesting. It was more of a misunderstanding than a, like a straight up lie. Where, no, it was a lie. It was a where, lie. Um, yeah, it was a lie. Where Cary Grant's character um, sends her, what's her name? Hildy off to uh, Bruce um, when they're in that reporter room thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she this? starts crying. We're getting lost. What? Why don't you do a second recap diamond what happens in this movie <laughs> or you want to do it nicole oh this is hilarious because she was asleep for parts of it <laughs> go so there was a guy who's played by carrie grant and there is his ex-wife hildy hildy decides that it's a good idea to come with her fiance to the newspaper that she used to work at he still works at he used to be her boss there's that weird power play that's there. And so she just goes to tell him, hey, guess what? I'm getting married. Stop calling me K-bye. But he would not let her K-bye. And so instead, it turned to this whole thing. Um, and then murders came involved. And they're hiding a murderer in a desk. And a woman jumps out the window. And then Carrie Grant's being super deceptive and basically just trying to win her back in the most awful kind of way and eventually sends her fiancé to jail. And then she cries and she's sad and then she gets back with her ex and they have a happily ever after. You know, I felt like for most of that you're not going to say the whole part where he manipulates her throughout the entire, <laughs> or at least attempts to manipulate her through the entire movie. 
But you, you got that in there. Solid. Stuck that at the end. I, I woke up at some point. <laughs> yeah. Good job. I think that's a solid recap. Minutes, so. All right. They both are manipulators. You say Yeah, that's true. I feel like, especially in screwball comedies, everyone's a villain, and everyone embraces the fact that they're all villains, and they just don't care. I think there are different tiers of villains in in this His Girl Friday. You've got what's his name, Butch Buster, the loser guy, Bruce. Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Uh, he's just he's just a sucker. Um, and then Hildy is a manipulator of like things that's sort of on the defensive, but. Uh, I was gonna say Carrie always. Carrie Grant is like, he's the main villain. He's the master manipulator. He's just awful. It's thing after thing after thing after thing, and he just absolutely does not care a single bit. Wow. I'll, I I just keep thinking, and we can talk about this later. I think I just keep thinking of uh, Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald and the other gaslighting and manipulation that takes place in that movie but so what's gaslighting gaslighting is essentially where you are trying to show someone their reality does not exist like say for example i see a light on over there um and then he's trying to convince me what do you mean like later on there was no late what are you talking about? There wasn't even a lamp in that entire house. And so that makes me start to rethink my memories and think that I'm wrong about something that factually happened is in fact my reality. But now I'm starting to question it because my partner is trying to convince me otherwise for their own manipulation and gain. Got it. I think something that, um, and, and you had talked about the time when you were texting us about 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 these screwball comedies um the thing that because like i agree with you i feel like i i was laughing throughout this whole movie i loved all of it well almost all of it um but the thing that makes it okay for them to be terrible is just like how terrible they are like that you said like they're all villains they're all bad everyone's manipulating everybody um and apparently that's the standard um it's because they're all just like so overtly bad and not trying to like act like they're good or like convince the viewer that the thing they're doing is actually representative of a good relationship it's just it's not offensive to me whereas like the rom-coms i don't like either think that the things they're doing okay or they think it's what people do or they i guess give the impression that this is what a relationship looks like and i don't know i guess don't recognize or acknowledge that it's just bad relationships whereas like this movie we watch just no they're just bad and we all know it but so but because we know it we can have fun with it that's my my feel of it anyway and also it's because it's both Cary Grant and Hildy wait first of all what is the character's name of Cary Grant Walter Walter, Walter. so it's in my mind not that it's okay but it makes it like uh, John over here said, less offensive because Hildy and Walter are both awful human beings and they're toxic and they deserve each other. And so usually I feel like in most rom-coms it's one person who is awful and the one who's manipulating and then the other one is like the innocent there. And so we feel indignant and angry on that innocent person's behalf. <laughs> Meanwhile here we're like, y'all ridiculous and this is hilarious because you're both just terrible people. So you guys uh, said that you liked the the 
what'd you call it corkscrew screwball screwball uh, screwball screwball comedies uh in the romantic comedies where uh you can have fun with it because it's not the ideal version of love and nobody is coming with it with that mentality have uh any of you guys seen the proposal with uh ryan reynolds and sandra bullock Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I might have seen that on the airplane. That's the closest parallel I can find to this type of movie where uh, Sandra Bullock's character is in position of power, uh, but like Ryan Reynolds' character is also like a jerk. <laughs> and so they both are bad. Um, I mean, it's not like a clear one to one. But it's one of those things that I thought was interesting. I there's I had a couple questions about his girl Friday that I got confused on. It was it was interesting though. What were they? Um, like if if uh I don't remember his name, Greg or something? Greg Williams? The the uh No, the criminal. What's his name? The criminal? Yeah. Like it was Williams, I remember his last name, I remember his first name. Oh. Uh, that the criminal, like, if he was actually mentally insane, because it seemed like Cody was manipulating him, too, with the whole um, equating the the production for use with the speech that he heard in the park with, like, that being the reason that he actually used the gun. See, I've never had a gun in my hand before. And that's what a gun's for, isn't it? Maybe that's why. Sure it is. Yes, that's what I thought of. Production for use. Well, it's simple, isn't it? If he actually uh, was mentally ill, or if he just was in a very bad position. I don't know if he was mentally unstable or just like not that bright, but either way, she I she was manipulating him. That was that's what I took from it as well. Yeah. I forgot what uh, Errol's friend was. The one that uh, the reporters accused Molly, them of girl? having like a girlfriend boyfriend relationship with. Molly Malloy. Okay. Yeah, that like Molly didn't get any respect from the from the guys, but like Hildy did. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know. There were a whole bunch of dynamics that were just odd to me. Like, um, I don't know. Culturally, for like the 30s and 40s, they talked about divorce in like a very <laughs> open way. Where like the way they talked about divorce was sort of like the way that people talked about love, where he was like, ah, you don't know, divorce can be forever. He was like, you don't know that. Like it was just a very clever dialogue, but I didn't know about what you said, Diamond, that you could only mention divorce uh, when you actually do end up together at the end. But yeah, I like that divorce bit as well. Like uh, I think what he he says is, um, and she's got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever till death do us part. Why well, divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words, mumbled over you by a judge. I was cracking up at that <laughs> uh, reversal as well. When I first started listening to the movie, it reminded me of this video that I saw that was showing that even the actors didn't actually speak like that. Like they especially for some actors like the the form of speech for like the films was a uh i don't know sort of similar to like reporters where they want that not having an accent sound when you're speaking uh mm-hmm. but like with the actors they wanted to to put on that man see like i don't know what the voice is but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just wondering when i heard it i was like huh 
I wonder if they actually talk like that, but... Uh, I don't know, I wasn't there. (laughs) I do know that, like, with this director, he always encouraged people to, like, ad-lib and, like, make up their own dialogue. So this was originally based off of a play, so almost everything in it was already scripted, but he wanted people to add things. And so Cary Grant has been in several screwball comedies before this, so he was very good at doing that. Um, whereas, um, oh my gosh, I just blanked on her name. The one who played Hildy, um, she was not. So she actually went and had like someone who actually wrote commercials and things write like bits of ad-lib dialogue that she could add in so that she could sound as witty as Cary Grant. So Earth. like even just like some of the stuff that like she would say or that he would say it was like the the ad-libbed aspect of it were also not how they talked. It was like how like a commercial sounds or something like that. It was still like very rehearsed and boxed in and things like that. And I think another thing about this movie that I looked up was the fact that like I don't know at least on the trivia on IMDB it said that they were saying something around like 240 words per minute um whereas that's just like not a normal that's not how humans speak but because of just um yes it is have you watched Gilmore Girls get out of here it's exact but the thing is like I looked up Gilmore Girls and this movie and it talked about the fact that like this (laughs) movie kind of set something up for like Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is written like his Girl Friday is in terms of the amount of words spoken per minute. So like when... We were talking about this while we were watching and um, I was telling these clowns that uh, this is... I love the, the, the rate of dialogue in it. Just the Gilmore Girlsian his Girl Friday-ish um, rate. I love it in, in Aaron Sorkin too. Just, I, like, I like that pattern, that, that, that quickness. I wonder what I want to now. I want to see the rate comparisons for all three of those. Well, if you're talking about comparisons, like when you were talking about ad libbing, I thought about Adam McKee, um, who's known for working with Will Ferrell and like Talladega Nights or uh, a lot of those movies. Or more recently, uh, The Big Short, uh, where he won an Oscar for screenwriting, where he's very much known for uh, letting actors come in with ad libs or like him giving a scenario and them just bouncing off of each other um on the day or like with the speed of speech how Isidore was like the the Daniel Amy Sherman Palladino uh are like Aaron Sorkin style of speech with the speed that they could definitely be one of those um pioneers but I thought even beyond the actual speech but like the parallel that I thought of was when Hildy um saw like the the phone's ringing and like all the reporters are like launching for it and then she has like it seems like she's just going through her head like oh do I go meet Bruce at the train station or do I choose the news and then she goes over to the phone and answers it and it reminded me of in the newsroom where both in the first season and the third season where uh John Gallagher Jr. um um is that the the white boy yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, he's he ends up with like Allison Pillar or whatever for a bit. I just want to make sure yeah. I'm thinking the right guy. Yes, he's the one who came in with uh, Emily Mort- Mortimer's boy. character. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He yeah. Uh, even though he didn't work there for like another two weeks, 
clicked on the headline of the BP oil spill, so it showed that he was like a newsman. And then, uh, similar to like in the third season, where Allison Peel comes back from um, going overseas, and then even though she wasn't working at the newsroom, like that she was just back, that she clicked on the the headline showing that she also was a news person. So that's what that reminded me of. If I can, I want to go back to that bookmark I placed in females in power or authority. I forget what what was in that definition you read, but like I felt that for most of the movie until the end. And that was the bit that like I didn't like um, where not just that like she cries and realizes what he's doing and that like she agrees with him and she wants to go back to reporting and all that nonsense, but just like as soon as she makes that realization, she's now like she just follows after him. She's not, like, the person she was for the whole movie. Yeah. So I was, I was wondering about, like, since you gave that as part of your definition or part of the sort of accepted um, and accepted idea of the, the screwball comedy concept, like, is that a thing that also happens? That, like, they may have, like, the, the women may have power or authority or, like, a strong role for much of the movie, but, like, they don't end that way? Is that common? Is that, because, like, or is that uncommon? Um, I'm trying to think through some of the other ones um, that I've watched. I'm also looking through like a list of. I don't know. I feel like that one. I feel like that one's different because, like, one of the other ones I'm thinking of is actually most of the ones with Catherine Hepburn. She kind of just stays Catherine Hepburn for like the entire movie, and like, I don't know. This one was like. I think this one is. It does feel kind of like whiplash because um, Hildy... Not my tempo. Yeah, because like Hildy is like one way the entire time and then switches. Whereas I feel like that's not as normal for other screwball comedies that I've seen. Okay. The headstrong uh, person who ends up um, at the end like softening up, that's a trope with romantic comedies. It happened mm-hmm. with The Proposal. Uh, it happened with a couple, Catherine Heigl... Um, movies so I don't know about screwball comedies but I know that's that's a, that can be an element in romantic comedies as far as like on the state side well, do we have any screwball comedies like is that a thing that we still do I mean yeah. you had talked about the proposal before as sort of a similar sort of a thing to this but like what what is do you have an example of sort of a modern screwball or is that just like done we don't do that anymore I feel like I don't know I'll I was looking at an article that um, its title is uh, Does Screwball Comedy Have a Place in, the, in Modern Cinema? Um, and it lists some, but I've never seen the movies that it lists um, <laughs> that for like the more recent ones. Um, the ones it lists are She's Funny That Way and Mistress America and um, Hail Caesar from the Coen brothers. I saw Hail Caesar. So, but with Hail Caesar, I feel like that's cheating because it goes back to that code era. Um, Yeah, it's just set in that time and of that sort of piece. Yeah. um, Also, I I wouldn't say the proposal is a screwball comedy. I was just picking up the things that it reminded me of. I think there are modern movies that have themes of screwball comedies. I think... One thing that we had mentioned in the text conversation that I should probably say out loud so other people can hear it um, is... We're, that's not what this is for. 
<laughs> but um, just the idea, I'm trying to find it because I had written it down, was the what sets the screwball comedy apart from the generic romantic comedy is that screwball comedy puts its emphasis on the funny spoofing of love while the more traditional romantic um, ultimately accents love. Um, and I think that's, I think our modern romantic comedies can have screwball-like tendencies, um, but ultimately because like screwball comedies existed as a way to get back at that like code era like and to talk about like it rose during the great depression when people just had like lots of things happening class-wise and all these other things that it talked about it while just being a way to like ultimate escapism so i'm not sure if we have that if there would be a need so much for movies like that anymore um but i think there are romantic comedies that use screwball like techniques and themes and things that makes sense the uh one of my favorite parts of the movie was when hildy was mocking walters like muttering slash like spiraling and then she she sounded like <laughs> an auctioneer <laughs> I don't know. Even though they both were like manipulative people, they were hilarious. Like, I don't know. Just the. I think my favorite bit was like on on that or similar to, and actually just a little bit later when everybody else comes back in that room and they're about to get busted for all their nonsense, and Walter is doing all his manipulative garbage, mm-hmm. just like fully like he's doing his hand gestures and. Oh, his hand gestures are my favorite part where he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I lost my whole self just laughing at that. Lady fingers. <laughs> he tries to play it off like he's not like shook, where he's like, "We've been in worse jams <laughs> before," and she's like, "Nope." See, actually, right at that moment, I didn't know what he was doing because, like, before that, I was like, "He's busted. He knows it, but he's he's just gonna act cool anyway." But then when he's actually cuffed, I felt he was most at ease. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they started talking oh, about man, the whole spirit it. on their side. And I think he honestly believes that malarkey, like, that he was spitting. Uh, and then, like, when they finally get saved at the end, he's like, ah, ha, see? Higher power, whatever the crap he says. The higher power. Ah, <laughs> see? I honestly think the only honest person in there was, like, Molly, uh, who committed suicide. Uh, the guy who got scammed by uh, Walter, who was writing poetry, and then uh, the guy who came Bruce in and mom. saved the day at the end because Penny he didn't bone. get bribed. What about Bruce and his mom? They were honest people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Them too. <laughs> I have a I mean, question, though, oh. because Molly didn't die. Yeah, they were she just didn't like, die. look, she's moving. Is that a thing with Screwball? Or like, just even moving <laughs> that time right. period? <laughs> uh, just be like, no, 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 she's not dead. Uh, production era. They couldn't have suicides. Really? That's why that other guy got shot, and he he was okay too. Yep. Wait, that's not suicide. <laughs> yeah, no, you couldn't actually. You couldn't murder anybody on screen. You couldn't have sex or have any sort of like <laughs> hints of sex on screen. Um, you couldn't swear, which is why like Rosalind Russell calls Cary Grant a stinker, and I like. Yes. <laughs> I had a good laugh at that one, <laughs> but. I wish you weren't such a stinker. <laughs> and he takes it like, oh, you cut me to the core. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I think that's one thing with, <sighs> like, Screwball 
like if it did came, come back as if someone started creating romantic comedies kind of in that theme again it would look really different because of the fact that we don't really have that kind of censorship anymore in terms of what I'm so trying to imagine it this whole time I'm trying to like feel it like what would it look like what'd you say I was just saying like I've, I've been just trying to imagine what it would look like if one came out this weekend and I went to watch it what would that movie be I think it would have to be in that like we talked about the the whole genre thing um what's what's your boy's name who made la la land and um not my tempo whiplash yeah uh, damien chazelle yeah that dude i think it would have to be like an Him. error film yeah like he would absolutely caesar. make a screwball comedy yeah like i think in a way hail caesar was the cohen's cohen brothers way of trying to make a screwball comedy or you could have a Gilmore Girls feature film. There you go. What? What's that? What's Gilmore Girls? <laughs> Only John's favorite show. <laughs> Did you guys like the Netflix edition to the series? What? To Gilmore, Gilmore Girls. Oh, I thought you were talking about his girlfriend. I was, I was confused. Got you. I didn't watch oh. it. I liked it. I didn't think anything was special about it. It was nice to see a little more of them and get into their world for that one final time, final in quotes, because uh, yep. we all know how that ended. But yep. other than that, I didn't really think much. All right, you get to tell me. You can tell me if I'm reaching on this one, because I know I like to do that sometimes. But I'm just thinking about it and what I would like, what sort of interaction I would think of with this screwball comedy. And all I, I keep coming back two and maybe it's just because we watched this but uh, Guardians of the Galaxy now hear me out I'm thinking of just how like how seriously Quill pursues Gamora but how she is not about it for the like for the movie and it's like she's not really witty and with full of comebacks to him but like he's trying he's going he's doing his whole thing he's he's living a romantic comedy and she's a space warrior ninja. <laughs> they even like played up. They have a they have a scene with the, the fireworks in space to like, and I think that that scene where like he's in he he rescues her, but then she brings him back to life or whatever. Or wait, no, he brings her back to life, whatever. And like, and she's all like, "What happened?" He's like, "I." was such a hero or whatever dumb shit he says just like leaning into that whole like joking about that whole romantic thing that's I'm gonna let that be my argument for right now I, th I think like I, on, I honestly think it could work because of the fact like really anytime if there's like a spoof of what like what we see as love in films I think that gets into screwball like like that comedy Subgenre because that's kind of like at its core, it's spoofing how films show love um, and what real love is, and um, isn't trying to kind of lean into this. This is what this actually is, but let's just make fun of it. So I think yeah. when you God, have someone who's like... so obsessed with the '80s and whatnot in the '70s, like Quill is, then yeah, you're kind of going to spoof those genre of films that he grew up with which a lot of them are 
ones that tend to be very stereotypical rom-coms. I think, like, the more I think about it, the more I think I was right in the first place. <laughs> and just, just with the, the whole sort of attitude that that movie takes to seriousness, just like the undercutting of every serious moment with something comedic, and when half of those yeah. moments are, like, emotional, relational moments, undercutting it with a joke about how close you just got to a real feeling, I think it works. I think... I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a screwball comedy. <laughs> That's what I'll say. There we go. <laughs> the comedy subgenre is is a thing, whether it's uh like I don't know, airplane. I feel like is is an interesting example because there's so many different. It's more like a variety than like one specific thing, because I feel like it makes fun of like the the like I speak jive like they're they're elements of like making fun of like the black exploitation element or like how Spaceballs makes fun of like the science fiction genre so like a spoof like a, a, a direct spoof I feel like could work but I want to talk now about another romantic comedy okay that we saw this weekend Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The Crimes of Grindelwald 2, Harry Potter 8, whatever it's called. What's it? How many Harry Potters is it? It's... There are eight movies, and then... It's the eighth, right? Nine, and it's now this one's the tenth. Ten. This gotta be ten. This one's the tenth. Because they turned seven into eight and then added two more. Yeah. Yep. And we got five more coming, so we, we passed the halfway point. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> are they trying to hobbits this series? <laughs> this is not based shit. off of a book, so they're just they're George Lucasing the series. No, but like they're, they're not doing. allowed to make stuff up. I feel like that's a thing I read about, like what they're allowed to do with the Wizarding World. Like they can't make stuff up entirely, so they have to. That's why it has to be Fantastic Beasts, because it has to be about a guy that exists in their books, and not yeah. just something entirely new. Even though it has nothing to do with Fantastic Beasts <laughs> at all. What do you mean, J.K. like gave them guidelines to follow? Yeah, J.K. Simmons gave them sort of like (laughs) when she wrote uh, Hogwarts Harry Potter, his this new Scamander and the Fantastic Beats exists in that world, so they can extrapolate on that, but they can't just make something new. I think I may be making that up entirely, but just pretend it's real. If J.K. wrote the movie, why couldn't she make something new? I don't think she she read the movie. Uh, She was she was listed as writer. Um. Oh, oh, now I feel. <laughs> oh, I think I just personally attacked Nicole. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's all right. No, that's not the case. I was just like, this movie is too garbage for JK to write it. And then Diamond just goes, yeah, so she's listed as a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but she's I am thinking, thinking, I think it's she, right on level She's not so great with writing screenplays is where Old I books. kind of live. <laughs> You the rudest. <laughs> I like her books. I don't like her screenplays. What other screenplay Johnny has she written, though? Uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and then these Fantastic Beasts. She wrote movies. that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the audience and listeners could just see Thomas's face. Thomas's face. I thought, that was a, I thought it was a play, though. It, it is. She wrote you it. Just, you still write plays. 
<laughs> Thomas says, not me. Not in my America. We don't write plays here. Hashtag not my America. Oh my goodness. Plays are themselves. So surprising. Oh. I mean, that makes sense, like, copyright-wise. I thought, I honestly thought a fan made it. Like, I thought... No. No, she did. No. She... Her, her level of writing is fan fiction level. Okay. Wow. We'll go that far. Harsh. Wow. Now I'm personally attacked. Wow. I mean, it's also, like, provably untrue. She's a professional writer, so she's not a... Wait, hold on. Can we... Writer, so. Can we actually go back to that? Because, I mean, if you think Wait, about it, how... Out of Flash Gordon, we got Star Wars. And out of uh, out of Twilight, we got Fifty Shades of Grey. So like the fan fiction, fan fiction element is a thing. Like every, there's nothing new under the sun. So there's inspiration when it comes to that. So even though it sounded crazy, <gasps> Thomas, Thomas, I think you've just struck on something entirely new that no one's ever said before. hand if you feel personally attacked by John Isidore. <laughs> you know what? I'm real glad it's not a video podcast and no one can see all you raising your hands. Dime, you wrote two hands? I did this! <laughs> That's two hands! And you there did twice shrug. now. It was a shrug. Did, you yeah. should, she did six hands! So now we have a total eight. eight Alright, Shiva, get out of here. By I don't feel attacked and I think that counts for something. No. <laughs> Fine. J.K. Rowling didn't raise her hand, so I'm okay. There you go. She's no, at her see, castle in London. My, okay. Exactly. Like my concern with um, J.K. Yeah, is I'm that sorry. she is George Lucasing herself, where she just keeps writing more ridiculous things. She's like she's already created this universe, but now she's trying to expand it in a different way. And but without writing, it, it. works in some areas. But like I don't like I don't know. I don't like good for her. No, it's okay. Yes. Not good for her. Good for her. Because George R.R. Like, R. Martin is doing the same thing. George Lucas. George R.R. Martin isn't doing the same thing. No, yes, he's he not is. writing a damn thing. Of Game of Thrones. He's not doing that. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give J.K. Simmons some credit here. And she needs it. Um, I, think, like, I think the problem, not the problem, an issue I have and that you sort of reference is that she's adding to her world but my problem with that is that she's not just writing her world. I think she could have made a better collection of stories if she had just outright written this whole Fantastic Beast thing as some books instead of like, like here's some stuff you can use to make a movie and let me just change things as we go along. I think, I don't think she's much better than these movies, but I do think she's a little better than these movies and she could have done better. I feel like these movies are just, well, especially the one that just came out, it's really haphazard. It kind of felt like she was just throwing things down on that paper without really trying to make something that was intentional. So you're looking and it's just, we see ultimately where she wants to go, but it feels like she hasn't really planned out how to get there. How much does the snouts, how much does the snouts, nope. play into this? In what sense, like, why people think I mean, it's you're not comparing, bad? Are you not comparing her to, like, her uh, own work? Like, with Lucas, he made the first three. And then with the prequels, people were like, hey, this isn't as good as the first three. So, like, nostalgia is an element, I feel like, that they're working against. Okay, so how about, I'm going to say this for me. Go. I didn't think the first ones were good at all. So it's not like I'm thinking, oh, she was so much better before. I, I don't have, like, a... 
holy grail of Harry Potter wizarding world thing that she's now betraying. I just don't think any of it's good. No, I I think I think it's less nostalgia, <laughs> more like fandom. Like a lot of the people that felt betrayed by George Lucas were people not necessarily feeling betrayed in a nostalgia sense, though a lot were, but more of a this is not the universe that you originally created. Um, Who would they to say that though? <laughs> because like because a, a universe existed and then he added to it like 20 years later and it changed everything so jk rowling isn't doing necessarily he that but <laughs> but there is like the sense of like there was a sense of like oh well she's like changing some of the stuff that she wrote about in her books that are really loved and no matter what people think about the movies, like the books, are really loved by a lot of people, and John is freaking out and shaking his head. But um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but no, I think I don't know. I there were so many people that like were getting upset because they thought the integrity of some characters that they had grown to love had been called into question, and I think that was what I saw a lot more people getting mad about than nostalgia. So, uh, with To Kill a Mockingbird. Whoa. Um, <laughs> that was a huge shift. All right. I want to know how Fantastic Beasts is a romantic comedy, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> it's so, a romantic tragedy. Is that a genre yet? Ooh, it's called romance. No! Wow. Now, I feel personally attacked. How many arms can I raise? <laughs> I don't know you're an no, octopus. I, you could probably put like. I eight. don't think romance is romantic tragedies. I don't agree with that. But we Wouldn't can that be fight Romeo about that and later. Julia? I mean, I would say not all romances are romantic tragedies. I think that one is a romantic tragedy. I don't think all romances are. I think a romance does can is about the the pursuit of the love and the relationship, whatever, and it doesn't necessarily dictate how it has to end. And so it could be a tragedy, could be a comedy. But that's um, not what we're talking about. So y'all the internet didn't help me with an answer for that one. The internet's never helped anyone ever. The internet just says that that romantic tragedy is drama. That's not that's, correct. That's the genre <laughs> that it falls into. What genre is the internet in? Because it's wrong. In Stranger Than Fiction, the professor says, uh, uh, tragedy, you die. Comedy, you get hitched. <laughs> that's, that's not true. That's just what somebody said. You were talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, so go. I was, go on. yes. Um, where you talked about the like sh- structural integrity of characters were challenged, correct? That's what you, is that the sentiment? Yes. Um, so with To Kill a Mockingbird, it was beloved and Harper Lee and everybody was like, yay. And then Go to wa- go Set a Watchman uh, was a sequel to uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. And that was released uh, like three years ago. And in it, it's revealed that Atticus uh, Finch isn't the paragon of truth that many people thought he was. Instead, that he's a racist. Um, so when you were talking about like the structural integrity of characters uh, being like changed, I don't know. Like an author can reveal something new about a character, but I don't. I personally don't know if what J.K.'s doing is like how Lucas did with the special editions, with adding like new CGI parts of a film, which I don't feel like destroys what originally happened or was it more of like Greedo shooting first or whatever the crap <laughs> like 
when people have that debate where in an edit of a movie it literally changes to like Han shooting first is that what you mean yeah the latter I think, one or the former yeah I think it's more of the changing the um the way something worked like okay so the I was walking into the movie I had not seen the movie yet but I heard someone loudly the um the romantic comedy that some of us saw recently Fantastic um, Beasts? Okay, go on. Venom? Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I was uh, walking into Fantastic Beasts, uh, not so Fantastic Beasts, um, and uh, someone loudly exclaimed the fact that they had felt lied to by Dumbledore for now all of the Harry Potter series. And so it was just like, okay. And then I think there is this that point of what you said of, well... You know, you know, authors can do whatever authors do, but when you release something into the wild and it becomes something that becomes beloved and the character becomes beloved, people take ownership of it. And I think that's part of what is happening with this is people have taken ownership of the characters of Harry Potter and some of them, their integrity feels challenged. I don't know. I feel like creatives do. I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate this whole podcast. But, like, creatives do that sometimes where they they realize... Like, for example, Shonda Rhimes um, in Grey's Anatomy, and it's not a one-to-one. Um, she ended up killing uh, off... Um, I forgot what his name is. McSteamy or whatever? I don't know. It was some Garrett character. Um, McCreamy? <laughs> but she, she describes... Uh, that episode where like she's basically like it's me taking the show back like the fans uh essentially was sort of driving the writing because of that ownership aspect of it like i feel like that's what runs the risk in creating something that's so beloved and popular you have to deal with now people bringing their own uh experiences or perceptions of what they got out of the work because of it so yeah I think there's there's levels to it. Like, I think a creator can create whatever they want to create, and people can feel about that however they're gonna feel about it. The the question of like, well, you've done this. You as a creator have done this. So now me as an audience member, I decide what things are, are right or not. And you can't change something. I think that there's a whole thing there, but there's also a separate section of like, if you as a creator have made something and then you do something that doesn't fit within the character of the thing you've created then people have other problems with that because you're not just growing your character like where a character changes over time and stuff happens but like people can feel like you're you're being inconsistent with the portrayal of the character which is maybe a different thing for different people with different like things but then the on top of that is the question of like if we're going to pretend like these characters these fictional people act like people um which we're doing if we're engaging with it this much then um, people don't act consistently with their own characters so aside from getting things factually incorrect like how much can you say that character A has to act the same way character A has always acted why can't they just be weird one time and do some foolish shit um, I think the trying to figure out like who gets to determine what the character is 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 a sort of weird area um, because once they've been created 
everyone has their own opinion and it's I don't know I don't know um, people can be mad about a bunch of stuff but I don't know if, if that says what's right or not when it comes to stuff we've all made up in our heads <laughs> yeah so in the conversation of uh, like uh, book writers um, trying to do uh, screenwriting besides Michael uh, Creighton is there anyone Crichton. you Crichton is there anyone off the top of your head you've thought of that uh, has made that jump successfully what's Stephen King's thing like because I know a lot of his stuff has been made into movies I don't know if he's written it for movies I, I he's, written, think, I don't know. he's written movies uh, yeah. and I don't know, some have just been absolutely terrible <laughs> uh, but terrible. I feel like he's more like a crapshoot when it comes to writing personally like I feel like his most acclaimed um, film with him writing it was not even or I should say uh, with him not writing it was The Shining and he didn't even like that version of it <laughs> so I don't know but seriously what's Fantastic Beast why is it a rom-com okay okay it's a rom-com in the sense of, uh, of what we discussed last week month year i don't doesn't matter last in podcast that you've got <laughs> whatever um actually i don't remember all the things we said but the you've got what three main relationships that determine the course of this movie you well, one was a there's a fourth because it was like a quad oh yes let me i took that as just one but that's a whole other thing so you've got your simple relationship of alvis dumbledore and grindelwald their inability to directly confront each other is sort of the generator for tension well it's, I can't even say tension there's no tension in this movie but like the reason there's a problem is because your best wizard can't just fight your bad guy because of this relationship they had so that's a thing um, then you've got this sort of like almost completely superfluous relationship that happens but it takes up a whole bunch of time where um, that that white guy from New York and Queenie, they're in a terrible relationship that is the most rom-commy where she just is terrible. She she gaslights him with magic. She gets upset when he says something about her gaslighting him with magic. And then she, what was the last thing? She reads his mind all the time. Violates his personal boundaries and ethical sort of limitations right there. She's the worst and there he's trying to pursue her the whole rest of the movie and gets sad when she's a bad guy because she always was a bad guy um so that's the second relationship and then the last relationship is newt scamander being in a relationship with every woman that's not been mentioned yet so far um because was it lena lita tina zoe oh, kravitz you're about lita. yeah yeah lita zoe kravitz he previously has some sort of relationship with her, which is clearly unfinished. He's currently after Lita, Rita, whatever that white girl's name is Tina. from New York, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> then there's that girl who lives in his house. Mrs. Bunty. Bunty. Oh, God, that's a gross name. And then there's... Who else is he in a relationship with? Niffler. No. His... Wait, wait, what's that? Niffler. Niffler? Get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he's also in a relationship with a, qua a quasi-sexual relationship with all of his animals. Um, so that's like, he's got 20 Thomas. relationships. 
I missed that. Oh, look at his face. Okay. Um, so, it's it's love actually, but with magic and worse. But the thing is, you also forgot his brother, who is getting married oh, to Toledo. one of That's the women it. that he clearly has wait, a thing wait. for. And then... Can I say it a different way? Go for so, it, John. he likes Tina. Tina likes him, but Tina thinks that he is marrying this other woman which he used to like but really his brother's marrying that woman and so she won't talk to Newt because she thinks because Tina thinks Newt's married to her and Newt doesn't know how to have a conversation about hey I'm not engaged that's not even a conversation it took 10 minutes of watching that movie for him to eventually say that all in one conversation and not and not 10 minutes from the start to when he says it but 10 minutes in one scene where they're in a room by themselves and nothing's going on and he can't just say yeah I'm not in a relationship <laughs> that's why and it's a rom-com that's what, yep, that's what makes it a rom-com that's this what makes is, it wrong. Call. This is the Harry Potter version of it. He's just not that into you. I still think it's about time, but I haven't seen he's not that into you. <sighs> we're gonna change that. No, we're not, because it sounds like a wrong call that I don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pretty solid argument. It's more of a wrong com than anything else. A rom com, but it doesn't have comedy really, unless you oh, involve yes. the animals. You did catch me on that one. Oh no, 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 no! You didn't. You didn't because there are varying levels of comedy in the other relationship. So Queenie and New York guy, that's a comedic one. That's because okay. that's also the most directly like a regular rom-com. Just yeah. with magic to do the things. Um, and then Newt Scamander, some of those have comedy. But also he's not deeply in most of them enough for it to be comedy. It's just awkward. Yeah. Um, and then the Grindelwald Dumbledore has no comedy. But then so there's the Niffler, range. and the Niffler have a whole <laughs> bunch of comedy wait, wait, wait. balances out. I missed one, guys. I missed one. I missed two. One is um, the Flash from DC's The Justice League. <laughs> Ezra Miller is in a quasi bestiality relationship with a snake. With a snake. Woman. Yeah, it it's, is hey. It's, are they together? It's interracial and interspecies. But are they even in a relationship? They're absolutely in a relationship. I don't know how sexual that relationship is, but it doesn't mean it's not a relationship. <laughs> but then can it be considered an inner bestial? <laughs> okay, you may have me on that. Okay. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he's going to pound town if he can figure out how the cloaca works <laughs> wait snakes have a cloaca sharks have a, anyway it doesn't matter um so that's another one but also the entire um sort of lore or background of the entire conflict of these last two movies is all about who's having sex with who <laughs> like the um the Lestrange's and oh, the, okay. the pure bloods and all that. <laughs> I'll say fuckery. I need some defining, but yes, thank yeah. you. So you know what? This should be a new segment. John's wild theories. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> That's theories. That's his entire where to find fucking them. podcast. <laughs> Fantastic theories and where to find them. That's what it is. Copyright. Trademark. 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 <laughs> Dang, bro. What? He's just Thank down in, like water. It's octopus water. Are you talking about me drinking this Kraken black spice rum? 
right. <laughs> Did you guys hear about the discussion of whether or not Incredibles <laughs> 2? past it, okay. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh. I'm waiting Incredibles in Isidore to recover. Incredibles 2, Incredibles 2, Incredibles 2. Yeah, did you guys hear about the discussion that was happening on Twitter about um, if Incredibles 2 was a kid's movie or not? No. Why would it not be a kid's movie? Somebody uh, tweeted Brad Bird um, about Incredibles 2 and asked what was up with the curse words and that they um, probably wouldn't buy it uh, and that that was the only thing that was disappointing about the movie and that it was uh, it was inappropriate um, and Brad Bird replied and said it's not a kids movie it's animated and rated PG um, and then the discussion shifted to iTunes's um, classification which listed it in uh, kids and family um, and then his reply was uh, the classification should be no different than adventure movies from Marvel or Lucasfilms uh, just because we're animated. And then he said, uh, what would you call sexism or racism for an art form? Mediumism. Um, and then Guillermo del, del Toro. Thank you. Uh, joined into the conversation and said, uh, animation is just a medium, not a genre, nor an interest for kids and families only. I absolutely agree. There are so many examples of that. So many. Like one of them. What was that TV show that was on Adult Swim? Well, I guess it's Adult Swim. So any of them. <laughs> I mean, but they're all animated. They clearly aim for children. Which which one did you say? Uh, What is it called? It has a talking fry. It has milkshakes. Oh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, the one that John sang. Yes. So there's like Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. There are some shows. I don't know how I got away with watching them. I think really it's just because I closed the door and tried to put them out of sleep. I mean, you can go with like the blatant like South Park, Family Guy, Simpsons, just because it's animated, it's not a kid show. But even like Akira or like Miyazaki films, I don't necessarily see them as kids films. I just feel like they're animated. Mm Oh yeah, like Spirited Away. I don't think that's kids movie specifically. Or like print, print I mean, but that's not saying that like a kids movie is of lower quality cuz like Avatar I consider uh targeted towards kids, but it's phenomenal. So, I don't look at oh, yeah, kids as like a negative connotation. I just yeah, wanted to just clarify. Think... Okay, I got you. I got you. I don't know all of what y'all said while I was fixing my power situation, but um I, I'm generally in agreement with the idea that like just because something like animation is a medium like you can tell any sort of story with that medium I've more often said this about comics like comics are just a way to tell stories they're not like lesser than a book or a movie or a TV show or radio or whatever like it's just a way to tell a story you can tell any sort of story with it and that's where you can have any sort of content um, so I don't know but I'll go then why do you guys have like static with the uh, new Oscar category, or do you not care? Because like the some people are, o- yeah, where people call it like they dubbed it like the comic book category. Um, I mean, I I don't think I've thought about it all that much, um, but like that's the category is popular movie, not like animated movie. 
like you can put anything in popular movie the sort of medium or art design the style of that movie can be anything my whole point was like go ahead so the thing with the popular movie category and part of the you know part of the contention around it is because the oscars have a very clear movie concept and idea that they tend to put forth into the nominations and so none of them tend to be movies that are you know the ones that are popular and out in theaters they're not the ones that are drawing the big crowds and so because of that there's been you know a lot of upward i mean specifically with our generation millennials and everything that are just like why are the movies that are generating the most revenue and the highest crowds not the ones that are then being nominated for these categories? So they decided to appease everyone and just have one category that is essentially is just a, all right, let's just see what the best one this year was, like revenue and crowd-wise. And so far, it has been superhero movies consistently for the past couple of years. So Marvel movies will never be nominated for any other category because of what the Oscars have shown their personal preferences to be, but they're damn well gonna win this one. I don't know. My whole thing was like, if if you hold that uh, comic books or like comic book movies are just the canvas that stories can be painted on, where Logan is like essentially a western, um, and then like Winter Soldier can be like a a thriller. Um, I don't see a problem with like recognizing those films at at the Oscars because they are high grossing, but also um, creative. Like, so. I don't have a problem with not... recognizing movies. Yeah. Like, you say you don't know if you would recognize their movies. No, I don't have a problem recognizing movies. I said before I hadn't really thought about this whole like um, most popular category, or whatever. That's untrue. I just like I have conflicting thoughts about it but it's like what I don't have a problem recognizing anything I don't know if like you need this I think the reason certain categories are prioritized is not awesome um and like I don't have a problem recognizing a superhero movie if that movie is just also good at whatever it's supposed to be doing I feel like this category is sort of similar to uh, when Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture. Um, And then they didn't because they didn't have a category for it. And so they ended up doing the animated category. And then with like Dark Knight with, um, what's his face? Heath Ledger got nominated um, for like Best Supporting. And then now I think they have like a category that's recognizing those types of films. Are there any animated movies that we would consider a rom-com? What is that? (laughs) Cairo has some opinions about this. (laughs) I would say like- Cairo has opinions about everything. Homeward Bound was a rom-com. I would say a lot of the. Uh, no longer in this room. This just means she's gonna get louder. Wait. Ooh. I was thinking of like all the Disney princess movies, which are romantic and also comedies. Aren't they all rom coms? Like Tangled. And 
I mean, all of them. I was I was starting with Lady the um, Lady in the Tramp. Wait, yeah, that's what it's called. I think they're all rom coms. I think all the anime movies, not all the anime. That's that's nonsense. But like most of the Disney princess movies are rom. coms Yeah, that's what I was gonna like, say. Tangled's a rom com. What's the other one I said before? I've already forgotten about Lady and the Tramp. Well, I don't know if Lady and the Tramp's a rom com, but like most of them, I think are rom coms. And I sent you guys a list of authors that also became screenwriters. So, yeah, I saw oh, that. Yeah. Yep. Gillian Flynn definitely was. She wrote um, Gone Girl. Um, almost said Homeward Bound. Gone Girl. Huh? The movies I thought Steven's, uh, um, Steven Spielberg. I can't speak. Steven, Steven King. <laughs> The ones that I thought he wrote, he did not write. No, yeah, I was gonna say. Like Shawshank and Green Mile and not even Cujo. Uh, he, not Misery. He, it was like, oh man. He wrote all those books. He didn't write the movies, though. Yeah. Right, but I thought he at least has. He might have just got like screenwriter credit. Yeah, on. he got story credit for those. Yeah. I guess uh, Crichton has a gift. <laughs> well, he also writes his books as like cinematically as he can like he writes them for movie. I don't know if he well also wrote should be <laughs> the tense um, but um, he wrote them for movies and I don't know if that was intentionally for movies or just his style was in a sort of theatrical cinematic style but like if you read you read any of his books what do you mean? He wrote them with the intention of getting them adapted? No, what I'm saying was I don't know if he wrote them with that intention, but his style lends itself to lends itself to sort of movies. Yeah. It's theatrical, gotcha. cinematic. Okay. And I don't again, don't know how intentional it was, but it's still sort of his style. Right. New topic. I think we we pretty thoroughly went through everything. Yeah. What do you think? How do you feel? I think so. What else did I have? Uh, I had my predictions for what a Star Is Born is like. I could tell you all that if if you want to. Did hear you already it. see the movie? I did not see a Star Is Born, and I told her what I think either happened or should have happened in that movie, and I could tell you guys. If I mean, you are you gonna be fine if we spoil it, or is it just like a you tell another? No, I'm saying I'm true. telling you. You don't tell me because we want to talk about it. So I'll watch it before then. Yep. So like, do you? I'll tell is you. the next? Is the next episode you want to record us watching A Star Is Born? I'm probably not us watching A Star Is Born. I'm pretty sure that's a crime. As um, in, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about like uh, Mystery Science 3000 where we used. <laughs> but reviewing it afterwards. I like talking. I'm just about saying, it. Diamond sent a text saying that, and so we might do that. All right, Isidore's predictions for A Star Is Born. Okay, so A Star Is Born is your typical sort of um, musical romance where all the sort of cues for relationship building are accompanied by music, but not like musical music, but just people singing and whatever. And you're seeing this star being born and she's growing in her career, having her struggles, overcoming her struggles, growing closer and further and closer and further to Bradley Cooper. And then right at the end, maybe something tragic happens to Bradley Cooper and she's still there being a star. And then Thanos shows up <laughs> right after she gets off stage. And he plunges her hand, his hand in her chest and rips out a glowing gem. And it's a star. And that's the star that is born. And that's, 
Friday is. I was. Star is Born is a prequel, sequel, intrequel to Infinity War. Infinity War four and a half. I was with you up until that last <laughs> bit. <laughs> really? What changed it for you? <laughs> you know, Thanos. Oh no! See, I think that's I think that's it. That's the it's it's right there in the title, and he says, "The star was inside you all along," and he just rips it out of her chest, and then boom. Oh, man. A Lady Gaga, sixth Infinity Stone. Lady Gaga is the Soul Stone. Yep. <laughs> boom. Spoiler alert. There it is. Morris death is for nothing. That's my spoiler stone. alert. So if Lady Gaga was a soul stone, which soul stone would she be? Power. <laughs> Have any of you guys watched Steven Universe? Because no. that's what I'm thinking yeah. about with all these gems and stones and stuff. Yep. I'm not. Me not all of it. It's a lot of filler, and it really is a deterrent. But I've seen. Some I saw of the it. first episode, and I was like, I don't want to see this. <laughs> but I heard <laughs> the first episode is nothing like the rest of it, though. That's what they just tell you. That's a lie they tell you to keep you going. Dang. I tried to get through Love, that Netflix show. I tried to give it another try. It's really slow. Like, it's really slow. Like, it's tough to get through. Some of the writing is good, but, like, some of it, I'm just like, I... No. (laughs) Which is disappointing, because the trailer looked real, real good. So. Sorry, Jed Abatow. Well, okay, so these are our potential topics. You can tweet us online and we can vote. A Star is Born, Bad Times at El Royale, or um, Overlord, which is also a romantic comedy. I'll tell you why later. <laughs> I'm not sure you, there's enough money in the world that you could pay me to see that movie on a big screen. I'm not willing nah. to see it on a small screen, <laughs> but uh, Isadora can uh, have a daylight. section where he talks about it. Fine, guys. I wouldn't even watch it on my iPhone. Get out of here. How about this? Let me tell you this. You know how we talked about the Help Me Bear and Annihilation? There's another Help Me thing in Overlord. <laughs> I have never seen Diamond so furiously shake no. her entire self. No. Not a day <laughs> No. I so I think the three through. options... <laughs> I was going to say, I went through my phone and have the Annihilation sound is still on there, and that was a hard card note for me. (laughs) I would like to make the argument that Overlord is, in fact, a rom-com. Thank you. I have support now. You saw it? She hasn't seen it. Oh, no. Oh, I was like, wow. I think she just doesn't want to be a part of this podcast anymore. She went to see A Star is Born while I saw Overlord. I was surprised. I I was like, oh, she a writer for real. I had a nightmare four months ago. I still lock my door at night because I'm so afraid someone's going to come steal me from my room and kill me in my sleep. I will never be watching Overlord in my entire life. <laughs> Especially now that you mentioned the help me bear. That reminds me of a Chris a Rock joke where he says, I got robbed on 48th and 8th about 20 years ago. I have not been back to 48th and 8th. <laughs> But I think the three options, Bad Times at the El Royale, uh, whatever you said before you said Overlord. in the John, Yeah, in the genre conversation about, like, Damien Chazelle and making movies the way movies should be made. Whoa, I missed that one entirely. What? When did you say yeah, that? that happened? This was from a few episodes ago when Diamond was talking. Do y'all not? 
Do y'all not listen to the podcast after they're released? <laughs> I never want to hear my voice again. What are you talking about? I don't about? even watch my own interviews on TV. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. Okay, so we've narrowed it down to two. <laughs> it's uh, bad times. Wait, how about this? We just do them together. Bad times and El Royale. Wait, wait, those are the same thing. That's thing. one movie. A star <laughs> is born at the El Royale. I like it. A bad star is born at the El Royale. What is the tie between the two? How are we going to relate them together? That's what we'll figure out. How are they in the same movie? We'll make it up as we go. This has become a new part of the, the podcast where we're just trying to either turn everything into a rom-com or figure out how movies are related to one another. Well, this is the thing. We need to talk about a new genre so that everything can be that genre. Okay. So what genre will we, will we explore next? Genre explorers. I mean, but are. again, like, the genre conversation, there's Diamond Mention uh, with Damien Chazelle <laughs> when, like, First Man came out. She talked about how she wanted to talk about how Damien Chazelle makes movies the way they're supposed to be made with First Man, La La Land, and... Um, I think the words I used were the know. how eh. nostalgia goes into how Damien Chazelle makes movies and talking about genre and how movies dif- look certain ways. But what I've noticed with Damien Chazelle is the use of nostalgia when how he makes movies. That's way better than what I said. Also, that's exactly well, what she said. If you give me a viewing list, we can do that too. Uh, wait, Thomas, do we have a Twitter yet? We do. We have. Well, then for tell a while. people what it is. At second dinner well, party. Well, I don't know what it is. You tell them what it is, and they can vote. You can put up a poll. You, this is on you, guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, it's out of those two options. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tweet at us at second dinner pie. Second dinner <laughs> Or email us at second dinner at gmail.com. And then whatever you guys vote on. That's what we'll pick. And if there's a, a perfect tie or no one votes because <laughs> no one's listening, then I'll decide. All right, I don't like that. Someone we'll vote. we'll just talk about Overlord. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll personally vote. We'll have two pieces we'll talk of about paper. All we'll vote. And we'll vote. Bound. Whichever Cairo touches first, that will be the tie. I don't like I don't that. That sounds yeah. terrifying. Whatever I'll put treats on the overload. Yeah, see, that's that why I don't like when, that. Like, cats okay. take the Super Bowl. What? No, she I said whichever Cairo touches first. Is that not what you said? It is. Yeah, but I thought an octopus picked the Super Bowl. No, octopus. Yeah. Octopus. octopus <laughs> picks the World Cup. Oh, I don't care. Wait, that's real. Yeah. You didn't just make that no. up. No, <laughs> I think his name is Phil. <laughs> It is uh, Phil. Wait, no, or is that just the groundhog? <laughs> every every animal is named Phil. Cairo's true name is Phil. Is it, if the octopus sees its shadow, then we're in trouble. <laughs> and then it kills everyone. And then we have to watch Overlord. Oh no! I feel I like if an octopus sees its shadow, it turns into Cthulhu. <laughs> yep, I, I'll buy that. I'll allow it. I mean, Wait, is it Cthulhu or is it Cthulhu who? Cthulhu Matagan. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Get down That is tonight. not dead, which doth eternal lie, but given strange eons, even death may die. We're not all on our Lovecraft today. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to find a final fortune. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should do that. Wait, a Cthulhu rap sounds like a sh- sushi roll. <laughs> it does. A Cthulhu rap. And rap. I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. Um... 
Okay, I gotta find our final fortune. While I'm finding that, you guys say anything else you want to say before I find that. I always confuse Cthulhu with the flying spaghetti monster a lot. <laughs> One of them's made of spaghetti. How about that? Is that does that help you? Wait, is that like a real thing? Yes. That's a real fictional item in a book. No. Wait, which one? I mean, what's spaghetti real? Monster. Right. Nothing. It's, it's a um, it's a thought concept. It's a concept. It's a concept that people made up to talk about thing. Not a fictional character. Until the point where people believe it's a fictional character and then it becomes a fictional character. Who's in charge? The author or the viewer? I don't know. Let's find out next week. Fortune cookie time. <laughs> it's easier when we do this at my house because then I can just go to my collection of fortunes. Okay. All right. Here's your fortune, guys. Do you want to say it, Nicole? Want to read that one? <coughs> wow. <clears throat> Pay attention to your family and don't take them for granted. There it is. Oh. Happy Christmas, Hanukkahzika. Enjoy hey, your Christmas this presents. This Thanksgiving every year until the last year. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. I'm going to say What's happy up? holidays instead. Why are you removing of... Christ from Christmas? Exactly. We're going to get a whole bunch of mad comments. Come on, Christmas. You can't spell Christmas without overlord. No. Stop <laughs> making that that's a thing. How it works. <laughs> Guys, take it from your Christmas prince. It's going to be a good year. <laughs> Season's greetings, uh, everyone. From second to... <laughs> and a happy new year. You filthy animal. This podcast is produced by Altman Street Productions, an 1127 media subsidiary.